How was everybody's Christmas? I missed everybody. Did you miss me? You must have, because you're listening to this shit. Tell you, you want to know how my Christmas went? I'll tell you how my Christmas went. My Christmas was exhausting, and I wanted no part of it. It's no offense to anybody in my family. It's no offense. It's no offense in English to anyone in Steph's family. Um, This year, we ran the gauntlet for lack of a better term, and we had three straight nights, three straight get-togethers. There was a lot packed into three days. And we don't have kids, so I'm not too excited to see everybody else open their gifts. You know, I'm not a kid anymore, so I'm not too excited at Christmas morning. Uh, You know, I'm appreciative of the gifts that I get, but eh, eh. I'm at the point in my life where I can do it. You know, until we have a family, I don't, I don't really need Christmas on the schedule. Like, uh, just uh, until, until I'm in a spot or until I'm in a spot where I can, or I have lots of money and I can get everybody a lot of kick-ass gifts. Cause that's something I love doing. Like, right at the moment, you know, economy shit in Alberta. I'm between careers, essentially. I have a lot of time to do this shit. And, you know, it's, you know, I couldn't really spoil anybody. I kind of had to go on budget this year. I don't like doing that. I'm a good person. I like to spoil people, you know, for lack of a better term. This year, I couldn't do that. So, you know, it just kind of felt like shit for, you know, again, lack of a better term. And so Christmas kind of sucked. Other than the meals, the meals are awesome, especially the one we went down to Steph's family's, uh, her dad's side of the family, and went for Christmas there. And, oh, man, my buddy Aaron barbecued a brisket. Holy shit, was that good. Whew. Anyway, welcome to another edition of Soups on... I'm not really sure what I'm calling this one. Essentially, it's an Oilers podcast, but there's a few things that I want to talk about. You know, a little bit of World Juniors, a little bit of the big news. You know, I'm recording this on a Friday night because that's how sweet my life is. And I'm hoping to keep this short. Of course, I'm hoping to keep all of these short, and they're never short. So, (laughs) So it probably won't be short. And, I mean, Steph's at the movies right now. I'd like to get done before she's home so she doesn't walk in in the middle of a fucking podcast and make me have to do it over again. That would suck. Um, but, you know, you know, I want, I, I want to talk on the big news today about uh, what the Dallas Stars owner had to say about his two star players. Is there a chance that we could see a big shakeup happening in Dallas? Probably not. Let's just throw water on that right now. Probably not. But, you know, as and as I'm saying this, I should have done this beforehand, but I'm pulling up my athletic subscription right now so I can pull up the article. And... You know, I guess 
I guess, delve into this. But long story short, I guess I'm trying to keep this short, so what's the point? But long story short, their owner came out and just ripped, ripped Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan. I've got it on my phone, so I guess it would be intelligent to pull it up on my phone now, wouldn't it? Uh, let's see, handpicked for me, fuck off. Panthers play dumb hockey, see chance to gain ground. Okay, uh, Mitchell with the Oilers roster shuffle. Man, there's no Dougie Hamilton's on ice. Shot numbers aren't being cheaply inflated. Like, there's just so much. The people at The Athletic, they do realize that quality's better than quantity, right? Like, they don't seem to get that, especially when it comes to their hockey coverage. It's really what I've noticed is there's just a lot of filler. Like, on the Oilers' parts, there might be a blog a day about either Lucic or Shirelli. Thanks, Jonathan Willis, for that. Here we go. Most popular. Sean Shapiro. Stars ownership, management, go on explicit-laden tirade over poor performance from Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. It starts off with WTF. That's the text that Dallas Stars CEO Jim Lights says he gets five times per game from team owner Tom Gallardi. And I'll stop right there because, you know, it's a subscription service. I'm not sure how much of that I'm supposed to read. I'm pretty sure that part is is fine. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, basically, they're, basically, the Dallas Stars seem really livid that because they've sunk tw- nearly 20 million into two players that they should be leading this team to the promised land here's the problem in the cap era you can't sink too much money into two players unless they are like essentially two of the best in the league like Sid and Malkin like you know, I was going to say Taze and Kane. When the Hawks were winning, they didn't have a, a gross amount of their cap dedicated to just Taves and Kane. You know, and they had Duncan Keith on a sweetheart contract. You know, so. You know, the argument can be made from an Edmonton Oilers point of view, the argument can be made that Leon Dreisidel maybe should be dealt. Because of the cap hit. Of course, it would depend on who the guy is coming in to replace him. You know, if you could get a second line center for, let's say, $5 million, And also, uh, I know what you're saying as soon as I say that. Well, if they wouldn't have spent so like idiots on Lucic and Russell. Yeah, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you for a second. You're a fucking moron if you like the Milan-Lucic contract. Like, my good gourd. Can you believe how bad? And it's so between the ears because his play hasn't dropped that bad. 
Like, I mean, his his production has. But, like, you know, physically watching him, his play hasn't dropped that bad. But it's just so between the ears with that guy. It really is. He was a first, like, a legitimate first-line player this time last year. And he, got, he has gone from a very legitimate first-line winger to the, well, far and away the worst contract in hockey. But, like... To the point where, yeah, you could actually make the argument that maybe he should be healthy scratched. He's that bad. Oy, 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 oy. Tell ya. Um, yeah, so anyway, anyway, I wanted to stick with the stars here for a second. Something that I had to look up with Sagan and Ben. You know, it's, it, by the way, that's so weird. That is so weird that their owner come out and said that, you know, Gallardi and Jim Lights, and they come out and say that, like, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? If you hate this setup so much, why did you give Tyler Sagan that extension? Why did you sign Jamie Benn to his extension? Jamie Benn got a contract that, People, GMs from 2002 in the old in the old CBA, like the really old CBA, the one that was formed in 1995, GMs from that era might go, oh, that's, that's giving a guy a contract strictly off what he's done and not what he's going to do moving forward. Like, he got Bobby Holik money. Like, nobody, nobody batted an eye at that one. That one. That one to me was always like, what the fuck are they doing? When they gave him 9.5, after you knew the guy had peaked. It was so obvious the guy had peaked. And they gave him that extension a year out. So not only has he peaked, but you still got a year to go until the contract actually kicks in. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Some teams need to figure it out in a cap world. That sometimes you're going to have to let guys walk. Sometimes the best move is going to be saying, you know what? This guy might be our captain. He might be close to a league MVP. But when he turns 28, he is not going to be worth 9.5 for the next eight years. At 28 years old, He's not going to be worth that. So we should probably get rid of him and collect the assets now. Nope. Gave him 9.5 a year with a full no move. Keep. Like, we're talking about a guy... Who, you know, this, the league's clearly gotten, you know, we talk about it all the time, how fast the league's gotten. I'm not trying to shit on Jamie Ben at all. I love Jamie Ben, But it's, I, I know it's not exactly like Lucic, but in a little bit of a way, it's like Lucic. In that you knew the drop-off was coming. And you still gave him the deal. Like the owner the owner has a big problem with, with Ben and Sagan. The owner should have a big problem with Jim Nil, who still can do no wrong apparently, B 
because, you know, he was under Ken Holland in Detroit and they won cups because, you know, they fluked out on Datsuk and Zetterberg. Oops, I just said that. Yeah, I did. Like, you will never see that again. Team go back to back. And yeah, I'm not saying their scouting was, was lucky. I'm not saying that at all. But to end up getting two Hall of Famers in, I believe, the seventh round in 1998, followed by the sixth round in 1999. Two Hall of Famers in back-to-back drafts, late in the drafts. That's a little fluky. Find guys in those rounds, sure. Sure, nothing fluky about that. Hall of Famers? It's a little bit fluky. And if that didn't happen, if Datsuk and Zetterberg were just, you know, two, like, Gustav Nyquist-type players, two second-line, very nice, great finds, great quality finds in the draft-type players... Jim Nill and Ken Holland wouldn't have anywhere near the reputation that they do. Not anywhere near. So the owner comes out and rips Sagan and Ben, basically because the team has no depth. Meanwhile, that's the GM's fault. Just like it's the GM's fault for no depth in Edmonton, it's the GM's fault in Dallas for building almost the exact same team, though at least in his sake, in his case, he's got 9.5 tied up in a very good player and not 6 mil, who's declining, I should say, and not 6 mil in a player who has become essentially nothing. And I hate saying that because I honestly pull for Milan Lucic so hard. I love the guy. And I so badly would love to see, just, just be a 2020 guy. I don't think that's far-fetched. Call me nuts. I don't think that's far-fetched for him to be a 2020 guy still. But yet, at the same time, between the years, he's just so shot that I don't think he's... I think he is what he is, which is a fourth-line player, unfortunately. It's shocking. It is shocking. <sighs> but yeah, I I don't know what's going to happen in Dallas now. Teams will take Jamie Benn, but they'll also say to the Stars, hey, eat 1.5 of that. Eat 2 mil. Will he go? Will they ask out? Like, is this is this the owner basically saying he wants to trade them? Or is this the owner just venting and the players are going to read this and go, oh, we don't want to play for you anymore, Tom. Very interesting to see what happens here. Very interesting. Man, man, both guys with no moves. And yes, I looked into it. Tyler Sagan has a no move as well. He, he wouldn't have, but apparently when they did the extension, according to Cap Friendly... They put it in his deal, it even says it on here, note, as part of his eight-year extension, a no-movement clause was also negotiated into the final year of this contract. So he has a full no-move right now. Oh, my God. I'd be 
all if they if they would take Lucic back and they would take Sekera back, I would you know in a player asset sense, I would back the Brinks truck up. And I know you're saying, well, you know. You just got done talking about how they put too much money towards these two players. Why would you then want the Oilers to do it? Because the Oilers have too much money in dead weight. So it's it's almost damn or it's I don't say it's damn near impossible for the stars to do it. It's not damn near impossible, but it's pretty difficult for the stars to move these guys without taking on serious salary in the deal if it comes to this. But, so, like, you know, you think, well, Lucic is, is essentially, he's just, like, you know, what, $4.5 million of completely dead weight salary-wise? You know, that's, you know, factoring in that you get $1.5 mil. He's about a $1.5 million player is what I'm saying. So he's four point five of dead weight. And... You know, well, why? You know, why would Dallas take that on? Because they'd have to. They'd have to. And then, of course, you know, you, you know, Sekera. You know, again, it's it's five point five mil a dead weight. I didn't mean to get going on this this early, but here I am, as always, skipping all over the place. Uh, you know, obviously, Drysaitel would have to go. So you're looking at Drysaitel. Lucic, Sakura, and then probably two first rounders and a second rounder. You stagger it, so maybe you go first rounder unprotected this year, second rounder for 2020, first rounder probably have to say unprotected for 2021, and then add in a Yamamoto, add in maybe a Ryan McLeod, add in an Ethan Bear. Like you'd have to really load up after giving the salary. Um, you know, from an Oilers point of view, you get way deeper. Well, you get deeper. I don't know if you get way deeper. You improve down the middle. Sagan's better than Dreisaitl. Sagan's definitely better than Dreisaitl. And I love Leon Dreisaitl, but let's just be honest. Jamie Benn, you know, yeah, he's overpaid, but considering, again... That the Oilers in that deal would have eleven point five going out the door of dead essentially or nine point five of dead weight going out the door. You could then you could then justify Jamie Ben's nine point five coming in, but you know it's not going to happen. So I'm not, I'm just kind of talking about it for the sake of talking about it. It's going to be interesting, though, man, because somebody... You know, I, all of a sudden... Like, this is out of nowhere. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, Dallas's two best players might be out the door, and it might be mutual that the owner wants to get rid of them and that the players are going to want to go. Or at least one seems likely... I'm saying this too. I gotta admit, I'm saying I haven't read the whole thing yet. You know, one quote: Hit, "He's hitting posts." Wow, wow. <laughs> it is. It is something else. 
I'm kind of skipping through it now. <laughs> like it's it's un, it's unbelievable, man. I don't give a fuck. I'm a year-to-year guy, and I'll be damned if a guy who has been as good to me as Tom Gallardi, as good to this franchise, isn't getting results, and those players aren't getting it done. I'm telling you we are going to run through a GM who does everything he can to make the team better because we aren't getting results. Like, and this is on the tail! Or this is... They just... Beat Nashville in Nashville. That just happened last night. <laughs> like, I know this isn't started off, this hasn't been the best podcast, this hasn't been fluent, and I know I should have read it closer before I did, but like, I just kind of skipped through it. But, like, holy shit. Like, it's, how does Sagan and Ben both not go? To nil right now and say, okay, if this guy's got this kind of problem with us, we're out. We are fucking out. We're not gonna be. We're not gonna be ripped to shreds here by this jackass. While basically it's the GM's fault because we've got no depth. You know, Jim Nil was there picking Val Nachushkin. Like, let's not give Jim Nill and his scouting staff especially, let's not give them the blind benefit of the doubt here. In 2013, in Jim Nill's first draft, he had two first-round picks. He took Nachushkin at 10, and he took Jason Dickinson at 29. Didn't like either pick. That's me. That's me, jackass, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Julius Honka, I like that pick. He's played 79 games in the league so far, 13 points. Got to wait on a defenseman. In 2015, he took Gurionov. Didn't like that pick. But he... We know who was there in 2015. Matt Barzell was there. Kyle Connor was there. You know, like, these are guys who weren't reaches. These were guys who should have went ahead of Gurionov. For my money, Colin White should have been ahead of Gurionov. And Colin White's not that great of a player, but he's definitely a better-looking prospect right now than Gurionov is. 2016, he took Riley Tufty. What the fuck are you doing? 2017, he picked in. Congrats, you hit on the third overall pick. What a fucking draft. Third overall. You better hit on that. Last year he reached badly. And I know OHL, a lot of OHL guys would disagree with this. He reached drastically, terribly, horribly on Ty Delandria. And you might say, well, he's not doing the drafting. I get it. I get it. But in that scenario, trade the fuck back. What are you doing? Oh, but we might not get him if we trade down to 20. Then you pick the guy who you would get. You don't reach on a guy. 
You let the other teams do that. Jim Nill, not a good GM. It is becoming obvious. Remember, Jim Nill was rumored to be one of the other GMs offering Milan Lucic that kind of deal. He was reportedly right in on Milan Lucic. And if you wonder why my voice went a little weird there, it's because I plugged my nose. I was itchy. Got a little scratch. Got a little scratch in. Didn't pick it. Oh, man, though. There's nothing like a good pick of the nose. Let me tell you. Getting some of those big boogs out of there. Oh, geez. Just like a new lease on life. Let me tell you. <sighs> yeah, Nils not done a good job. Oh, jeez. I didn't realize just till I was, you know, doing this podcast how horrible of job he's done. In fairness, at 10, Nachushkin, would I have picked someone else? I'm looking at it right now. I'm not sure. In fairness to him, I'm not sure. Probably Max Domi or Alex Wenberg. Probably, you know, I'm looking at it, probably Wenberg. Would have been my pick over Nichishkin. I wasn't like there was rumors that year that the Oilers were going to take Nichishkin at seven, that the scouts wanted him. And I know some people will go, "Oh, well, you know, not like Nurse was a good player." Oh, I'm going to get to Darnell Nurse and the very weird hate that is for Darnell Nurse by some people in this fan base. And I hit on it at another podcast. I'm going to hit on it again here later. But, man, Jim Nill, the 20, like that Gurionov pick was so bad. Was so, I know there were others after that that were very bad. You know, the three Boston picks were horrible. Don't get me wrong, I love Jake DeBrusque. Jake DeBrusque was a bad pick at 14 in the draft. When you had Matt Barzell, Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat, those were the next three picks that the Bruins passed on all of them. And it's not like they passed on them, but, you know, oh, well, you know, the guys they picked were supposed to go, you know, were supposed to be better players. No, no. Most people had Shabbat and Zabroil. Is that how you say it? I've never learned how to say that kid's name. Jakob Zabroil. Zabroil. I can't say it. I you know, I even I even subscribed to Elite Prospects last year just to try and learn it, and I still don't know it as you can hear. You know, if I was Boston in that draft, I can honestly say I would have taken Barzell and Connor for sure. I probably would have taken Zabroil. However you say it as I continue to butcher the kid's name. That's just that's one of those that's gone sideways on them. Not really their fault. DeBrusque and Sinitian, whole oh, fuck, that's their fault. And again, DeBrusque is a good player. Is DeBrusque Barzell? No. Is DeBrusque Connor? No. Kyle Am I looking at that right? No, I wasn't. That was that's Barzell. Nearly a point per game player so far in the league. This is only his second season. And he's having a bad year. And he's a point-per-game player. Well, five points off. Kyle Connor has 46 goals in 133 games. <laughs> this is looking pretty terrible for Boston. 
if they end up like missing the playoffs this year, which isn't far-fetched, man, like last year was a nice reprieve for Bruins fans to forget about that draft. That draft was one of the biggest blunders in league history. Like, it's going to go down as that. I know we love Jake DeBrusque. I'm not saying to dislike dislike Jake DeBrusque. But I'm not sure D- Jake DeBrusque is going to be anything more than a nice second-line winger. You know, think think of a guy like Wayne Simmons. You know, we all, if you're a hockey fan, I don't know how you don't love Wayne Simmons. Like he's, just, he's just a fucking hockey player, man. In the truest sense of the word. He's just a hockey player. That's that's Jake DeBrusque, and that's awesome, but you don't take that guy over Matt Barzell and Kyle Connor. If you want to take him with the 15th pick, which was their third pick, you know, they had three straight picks. If you want to take him with that last pick, by all means, you know, that's your one reach, go for it. Fuck though. They went for like they went for it back-to-back picks, and Sinition was just whoa. What were you thinking? Zach Sinition was supposed to go from about as like twenty. Montreal had the twenty-six pick. To me, that would have been a reach on Sinition. And if you get him at, you know, the Oilers started out the draft. Of course, we know what happened with the Oilers draft in twenty fifteen. For fuck's sakes, how is it possible that you draft Connor McDavid in a draft? And that draft is looked back on with absolute disgust. The Oilers did that. Amazing. Uh, Fucking amazing. You know what I remember from the 2015 draft? I do not remember Connor McDavid. Because that was on April 18th, 2015 at 6.15, I think. Mountain Standard Time? No, no. What I remember from the draft is two things. One, the excitement after the Bruins picked Sinition, knowing that Matt Barzell was there for the Oilers to steal. Followed by an Islanders fan tweeting me back, because I said something on Twitter along the lines of, oh my God, like I can't believe that he's there, and you know we don't need a center, but we'll take him. And an Islanders fan immediately... Tweeting me saying, ah, not so fast. And I was like, what? And that's when I look up at the TV and the Oilers are about to make a trade. <sighs> okay, well, you're going to trade the pick for Griffin Reinhardt. I hate it, but okay. Oh, oh, you're going to throw in a second round pick. An early second round pick in one of the best drafts of the last you know, 10 years for sure, and one of the best drafts in the history of the drafts. This is how, this is how it was viewed going in. It wasn't just McDavid and Eichel at the top. It was viewed as one of the best drafts in league history, potentially, obviously, but, and you're giving up the 16th and 33rd pick for a kid who was taken fourth overall in what was looked at as one of the weakest drafts in league history, and who has not progressed at all since he was been drafted, and a kid 
wasn't even the proper fit on the blue line. They needed a right shot defenseman. Was I still talking about how bad of a GM Jim Nil was? That was motherfucking weeks ago, I think. Oh, my God. Okay. We'll see what comes of that. I got to get to the World Juniors. And what I know about Team Canada and the World Juniors right now is that they're 2-0, and and I know nothing else. I was going to do a podcast after every game. And then, like, you know, on the 25th, I thought... You know, tomorrow they play Denmark. And I thought, oh yeah, they're playing Denmark. What the fuck am I going to talk about on a podcast, even if it was only 20 fucking minutes? What the hell would I have to talk about on a podcast talking Canada-Denmark? And how about the enthusiasm in the crowd... During the first period of that game. Apparently. Those people. And those parents of the kids. For Team Canada. Weren't aware. That that was Denmark. They were playing. I get you're so. Fucking. Over the top excited. To see your kid. Playing the world juniors. I get that. I really do get that. But what I don't get is the knowledge that you should have that your son is playing a game against what is equivalent, in my opinion, to what? A USHL All-Star team? And that's not to shit on Denmark at all. What an awesome accomplishment for them to get in. But holy shit, as Canadians, are we not better than that? Hugging in the crowd? They're demolishing these kids. And by the way, I put it on Twitter, those schmucks that TSN showed after the 12th goal, again, I'm going to say it, can we get them deported, please? What fucking zilches. Just zilches at life. Fuck off. I hope one of those guys comes up to me in the street one day and says, Hey, I was one of those guys you called a zilch. Do you want to fight? And I'll say, Thank Gord. Yes, I would love to. And knock them the fuck out. You know, one of my buddies said to me one time, You always have that win. You know, you always have that one win where you just, you know you'd beat up, you know, you'd beat the shit out of some guy because you just don't like them that much. Like, that would be those guys. Them and my uncle. Not Al and not Bill. I've only got three uncles. You do the math if you know me. (sighs) Probably shouldn't have said that one, but, yeah, fuck it. Cat's out of the bag. He's a piece of shit. Moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but these guys are too, and they deserve it. So, well, scumbag more than piece of shit. Wonder what he got his son for Christmas. <sighs> no, I didn't say daughter, I said his son. 
Oh, man. Yeah, I should probably cut that part out. And I'm so not going to. Um, <laughs> like, I just... Uh, like, what are you doing? And I get what they were doing. They were overdoing it because they thought it was funny to overdo it. I've been hoping that's what they're doing. Still, sit the fuck down. The camera was right there. If the camera's not right there, okay, whatever. You're drunk, have fun, whatever. The camera's right there. Fuck off. Fuck off, man. Like, that's such a bad look. That's just disgusting. And I, even for the parents, and I know people would, like, come at me so hard for saying that. Like, hey, they are just so just so over the moon that their son is on Team Canada and the World Juniors. This has been his dream come true, yada, yada, yada. But they're playing the first game against Denmark. Like, I like, I don't, I, I, uh, come on. Recognize who you're, who they're playing. Sit down. Well, you don't have to sit down, but jeez, like just, just try to keep it in check. Tonight's game will be interesting. The Czechs are a real team. You know, the Swiss were a real team. You know, I I hate to say this, I completely forgot about Philip Kurashev. I'm watching him score two goals the other night, and I go, oh yeah, I really liked him in last year's draft. Totally forgot he was a Swiss player. He, damn good. I loved Chicago's draft last year. They took so much skill, man. And he was one of the kids. I I just thought that was a tremendous pick. And I, I didn't buy a lot of the knocks on him that I'd read. You know, like, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But I just remember thinking, like, yeah, no, he's 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 getting knocked for some dumb reasons. You know, I think I, I think I made the case that he was probably lethargic playing on a bad Quebec Ramparts team, and you know he like when he had to step up last night or I guess two nights ago when you're listening to this, he did, he did, and he he looked great, he looked great, and the Swiss were full value, man. That was what an effort. And that has to have you worried if you're Canada. On one hand, you love to see them pushed. I love to see them pushed. I love the fact that they lost to the Finns in the prelim game on the 23rd. I thought that was awesome. I meant every, you know, I meant what I said when I said on Twitter that was the best thing that could have happened. You know, you, you lose a game, you get your asses kicked basically by a very good team. Get that loss out of the way. Know that you're mortal because this team probably should win. They're probably the most talented team in the in the tournament, but they're not so talented. You know, some years Canada is so talented that they're going to trounce everybody and they're going to get by on their talent. This is not one of those years. The blue line has a little bit of question mark. I don't love the talent up front. I don't love it. And, you know, we kind of saw that last night, two nights ago again, when you're listening to this. Uh, We kind of saw that. You know, they only won 3-2. 
you know, that shouldn't that team be winning, you know, or at least putting in more than three goals? You know, and one of them was a Noah Dobson goal that was kind of not that good. Like, ew. that loss will have helped them, but they still look like a team that might need to be knocked down a peg, especially, you know, running it up against Denmark. Eh, not a big fan of that. I know total goals. I know. Anyway. All right. Let's get on to the Oilers. And, you know, the losing streak uh, is not good, obviously. You know, three of these four losses have been to non-playoff teams. And please don't tell me how Vancouver's a playoff team right now. Um, They're one point, I want to say, ahead of the Oilers, and they've played three more fucking games. They're not in a playoff spot. Save it. Okay? Save it, please. If you're an idiot who's saying, yeah, yeah, no, the Canucks, they're in a playoff spot. Oh, they're full value. They're in a playoff spot. No, they're not. No, they're really not. They're, you know, they're they're playing real well. I'm not trying to shit on the Canucks either, but they're not in a playoffs. They're a 500 hockey team. They're a 500 hockey team right now. If you go points percentage-wise, they're still one, two, three, four, fifth last in the in the west only fifth in their division you know the oilers are 527 the canucks are only 500 you know and the oilers are two points back at dallas with a game in hand for all like for how bad it's looked here lately oilers are you know, a win away from tying the Stars. For winning that game in hand, tying the Stars. There's still only four back of Anaheim with two in hand. You know, Vegas is, you know, uh, seven points. So Vegas is pulled away from them a little bit. Fuck off. Man, I hate that team. Like, I, I don't hate them. I don't. I say I say that. I don't hate them. I really honestly don't hate them. But at the same time, it's like, it's so frustrating to watch from an Oilers fan point of view. This team comes into the league, and the fact of the matter is, they're not that talented of a team. And then, of course, the Flames. I mean, Oilers fans don't like me saying this. It's awesome what the Flames are doing. It is. It is. You can hate me all you want. And yes, the reason the reason they are up there with Winnipeg and Nashville, Winnipeg and Nashville, I don't think, give a fuck about getting first in their division or first in the conference. The Flames do. Like, for the Flames, this is all brand new. And now that they're kind of, they've taken this step and now they've become this team fighting for first in the conference, you know, every game's like big, like they got it, you know, it's a big deal to stay up there. Whereas Nashville and Winnipeg, I don't think it is, but because they're so good and so talented, they stay up there. You know, I if if the playoffs started today and the Flames played Edmonton, 
I think the series is a toss-up. I would pick Calgary, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Oilers beat them, especially in a playoff series where it's kind of a little more tailored to a bigger team like the Oilers have, obviously. Uh, You know, if they played Anaheim, I'd probably pick Anaheim. Vegas, I'd go Calgary. Uh, San Jose, I'd pick the Sharks. You know, so... I've said this before and I'll say this again, and I, I, this is getting off topic from the Oilers, but I, if you listen to me, you know that I get off topic all the time. The Flames need another center. Mark Jankowski out, and either, well, not either, but either Backlund bumped down to that third-line center spot or else an upgrade over Jankowski in the third-line center spot. For me, I would put... I would go out and try and get a Matt Duchesne and bump Backlund down. I think Duchesne would fit perfectly with the Flames. And if they did that, then all of a sudden, look out, the Flames might be a team that can do some damage in the postseason. But if Trey Living can't get that center, then I'm just not sure that they can go very far in the playoffs. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. And the other thing is, too, we don't know how Riddich is going to be the rest of the season. We don't know how Ridge would be maybe in the playoffs. We don't know how Mike Smith would be in the playoffs. It's tough to get a read on their goaltending. The one thing that's happened with Calgary this year is that when one guy's faltered, the other guy's really picked the other up. Like they haven't had it they've had their goaltenders play fall off, respectively, but they haven't had their goaltending in general take a big dive. Anyway. With the Oilers. Okay, as bad as things have been, they're right there. They're right there. I got a text. I, Sam, I've got to tell this story. I'm sorry, I've got to tell this story. One of my buddies today, I w- woke up to a text asking, was that loss to Vancouver the dagger in the Oilers season? Like, I know it feels that way, and Sammy, I'm sorry, I just told that on the podcast. I know it feels that way. We are being fucking ridiculous if we're thinking that. And in full fairness to my buddy Sammy, he is not the only Oilers fan who's thinking that way. Far from it. Very far. Here's another thing. The people who are just livid at Shirelli right now... um, There have been so many chances to shit on Shirelli in the last year and a half. The guy is not... The guy's done a terrible job here. And no matter all his good that he has done, you still can't get past... I'm talking me, too. Like You still can't get past the Russell contract, the shit return on Eberle, the Hall trade, obviously, the Lucic contract... The, you know, the Barzell fuck-up, you know, Reinhardt fuck-up, whatever you want to call it. It, Like, it is so fucking tough. Or not tough. Like, you just, you can't get past that. Dreisaitl should be making seven mil a year right now. Instead, he makes eight five. Why? Because Shirelli didn't want to wait. Like, Shirelli just didn't want to wait. He, he he took the bait. I do wonder, 
some of the fuck-ups, like the dry sidle contract, like the Hall trade, like the Barzell Reinhardt thing, I do wonder if other influences weren't involved in those decisions. But at the end of the day, they fall on him. But here's the problem. They're right now, this three, there's four-game streak, this four-game slump, and five of six, going back to the Winnipeg game, and only points in, you know, going back to that Winnipeg game, in the losses, in those five losses, they only got one point. They're without three of their top four defensemen. Now, a very awesome gentleman took me to task on Twitter last night, and I had it out with him. He was very respectful, and now I feel guilty as shit about it because I've been messaging with him ever since. He seems like an awesome dude, and I hope he's listening to this. And I felt terrible because normally you get guys come after you on Twitter, and it's hostile. This guy did not mean it that way, but he did say, well, the Oilers' blue line is an elite, and that wasn't at all my point. I, I don't think the blue, Oilers' blue line, when fully healthy, is anything more than passable. <laughs> so that's where we got our wires crossed. But any team in the league, without their top three of their top four defensemen, they're going to be shit-kicked by most teams. And people forget that with Sakura. Sakura was one of the worst guys to have these injury problems with. Because their blue line does not move the puck well. And think about it. He was their best puck mover. Far and away their best puck mover. Now, is it Shirelli's fault that the blue line can't move the puck well? Yep. But that was probably the worst guy to go down to start having these kind of injury problems. Sucks, man. Fucking sucks. And then you, on top of that, Clefbaum and then Russell. I know Russell's not a top four defenseman. He shouldn't be. He's a bottom pairing guy. If you don't know this, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But still, Clefbaum and Sekera, probably the two best Oilers defensemen in 2017. They're without both of them right now. I know Sekera has been out of the picture for two years. We don't even think about him. But it's a big deal. And it's the way it was set up. It, that was not Shirelli's fault. I don't mean to come on here and be a Shirelli apologist. I really don't. I want him fired. But it's like we have to have some perspective here. And right now, people like Mark's, you know, and I'll, oh, spec. Ugh. But everybody wants Shirelli fired. And it's like, okay, but this three game slump, or this four game slump, is all because of injuries. All of it. It's all because of injuries. And they're without three of their top four. And you could say, well, a good team would have... Okay, Peter Shirelli's drafted really well since he got here. And we're just now starting to see Jones and Bear and Loggison wasn't his pick. But guys emerge. So the part that he was supposed to do to overcome injuries, he's doing it. That's the previous regime's fault. That's not his. So your timing, if you're like screaming from the rooftops, get Shirelli out of here. Shirelli needs to go now. You're a fucking idiot because A, you're pretty late to the party. And B, 
this isn't on this particular stretch isn't really on him. I mean, it is in a sense that you know the team should be much further along because he pissed away so many assets and was so careless with the cap. Like I get that, but this team was nine two and one right before this all hit. Nine two and one, pretty good stretch, and they didn't play a bunch of chumps in that stretch. They played Vegas, who'd been red hot. Dallas, who was rolling when they played the Oilers. San Jose in San Jose. You know, they were 16 seconds away from shutting out the Ducks, who were just starting to get red fucking hot. You know, yeah, one loss was to the Kings. Okay, fine. Who else was in there? They came back against the Blues. Not impressive, but, you know, comeback's a comeback. You know, they went into Winnipeg. They got a point. I know that was without the defenseman. You know, they beat Philly. That was without the defenseman. They beat Colorado quite handily. That was without the defenseman. 52 minutes. So people, you know, going off on Shirelli. Speck went off on Shirelli now yesterday on Oilers Now. Guys were getting hyped about it on Twitter. Okay, two things. One, Mark Spector, if you've read Between the Lines, has not liked Peter Shirelli for a long time. It's a personal thing. He slipped up. I don't know if he slipped up, actually, but it's it seems like he slipped up one day on the air last year and kind of got a little, a little snide about how Shirelli doesn't give any media availability. You know, he, he's never there for a quote when they need him. He doesn't like that. The other thing is, Speck was close with Todd McClellan. So we're really going to sit here and say, wow, good on Speck, finally telling it the way it is. It's not the case. This guy's, this guy's being very unprofessional right now. Because he never did this with any of Todd McClellan's mistakes. Why? Because he absolutely adored Todd McClellan and he's buddies with Todd McClellan. And Todd McClellan, rumor has it, tore a strip off Peter Shirelli on his way out the door. That might be putting it nicely. So I don't think it's too tough for Speck to pile on Peter Shirelli right now. You know? It was it right? Yeah, like nothing he said was unfair at all. Nothing. And again, I'm a guy who wants Shirelli out, but for some reason, it just seems like I'm defending this guy all season. Because it's like let's have some like let's have some perspective on this. While I want him out, you can't just shit all over him blindly. You know, he has done some things right, and there are some things that have gone wrong that were out of his control. The other thing that I keep coming back to, remember who's doing the hiring here. If he goes, there is no certainty with this management group that they're going to upgrade or even have someone of similar ability have we thought of this how would you like it 
if they brought in someone who not only would do the Hall trade and Barzell thing and Dreisaitl contract, not only would he do all that bad shit all over again, but he wouldn't be able to find guys like Miko Koskinen, get a good trade at the time anyway for Cam Talbot, find a hidden gem like Pat Maroon was, you know, Alex Chason on a PTO. You know, like, he's done some good. By the way, he gave, he gave Oscar Clefbaum that extension. Let's not forget that. That extension looks pretty fucking good right now. Held his ground against Darnell Nurse. Got him signed to a bridge deal that everybody wanted and everybody thought was a fair price for Nurse. I didn't get to the Nurse thing tonight. and I'm not going to. Steph's going to be home right away. And I'm almost done my hour, and I don't feel like adding to this. 56 minutes. Um, you know, it, Peter Shirelli goes, Craig McTavish isn't the right person to replace him. Nor is Scott Housen, nor is Kevin Lowe. If Keith Gretzky's the next guy, uh, I don't feel real good about that. But, you know, interesting. Maybe. There's a lot of guys out there that would probably be good hires. To be honest with you, I haven't given it a shit ton of thought. But I also don't think that these guys would go anything outside the box. Ken Hitchcock was a great hire of a head coach. But we have to be honest. That was just perfect circumstance for a shitty management group. He fit with everybody. That's why he was hired. He wasn't hired because he was a terrific head coach. I mean, it didn't, obviously, it helped. But, again, they brought in one of their buddies. If Shirelli goes, they're bringing in another one of their buddies. Now, who knows? To wrap this up, who knows? I will say this. I will say this. Who was the last GM that Bob Nicholson hired prior to hiring Peter Shirelli. Who was the last GM that Nicholson hired? If you said trick question, you'd kind of be right. Because it wasn't for the Oilers. It was for Team Canada. And that GM is currently a free agent. Now, that GM stepped down because... He wants to spend more time with his family. He wants to be in Detroit. And the Detroit job is probably going to come, you know, become available. But the relationship is there with Bob Nicholson. And it's a pretty good carrot to dangle with Connor McDavid. Pretty, pretty nice carrot to dangle there. So if the next play is Steve Eiserman then Shirelli can get the fuck out of town, no problem. Because look at Tampa Bay. Might be the best run organization in the league right now. Okay, I got to get out of here. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hopefully I've got some blogs coming out in the new year. And as always, I've said now a lot, I want to get some better podcasts and different things going. Hopefully I'm going to be able to have time to do that in the new year. Hope everybody has a good New Year's, New Year's Eve, be safe, all that good shit. I'll catch you next time. For now, I'm out.